and your throne in heaven above it seems so far away though i can't touch can't touch your nail scarred hands i have a deep unspeakable joy that makes my faith to stand lord i believe in you i'll always believe in you though i can't see you with my eyes deep in my heart your presence i find lord i Lord. 
If you have your Bible today, turn with me to Luke 14, beginning in verse 7. So Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take a lower place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If there was one word that described you, what would that word be? Would it be industrious? You know, when people think of you, they think, boy, he or she is an industrious person. Or would it be brilliant? Gerald, would it be brilliant about you? Brilliant. Would it be uh, loving, kind, studious? What about humility? Might it be humility? Last night I was thinking about this sermon and I thought, you know, when I get to this point in the sermon, I think I'm going to say, which ones of you... uh, would be described by humility. Raise your hand. And then I thought, no, that wouldn't be good. That uh, would defeat the purpose. This parable is all about humility. It's also some basic uh, instruction about how how to behave in public, how to behave in relationships. It, It really is sad as you know, when somebody doesn't have good table manners. When I was in college, uh, I was invited to a real fancy uh, luncheon deal, and I was dating a girl, and her parents were there, and there were a lot of kind of important people there, and they served shrimp, and uh, everybody had a little bowl of shrimp, and I was really into the conversation at the table, and so I started eating the shrimp, and I ate all of my shrimp with a big fork. You're not supposed to eat shrimp with a big fork. You eat shrimp with a little fork. And uh, so when I got through eating all the sh- shrimp, my date said, you don't eat shrimp with a big fork. <laughs> and I was humiliated. I mean, I thought, well, good night. <clears throat> You know, it's bad when you do stuff in front of a lot of people. makes it worse. In heaven's household, humility, good manners in relationships, those, those things are expected. The Lord wants us to be humble. He really does. He wants all of us to be humble. It's important. That last line of our passage is so telling. It's really the most powerful one. It says, For everyone that exalteth himself, he shall be humbled. 
And he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Have, have we thought about that lately? It's, it's obviously so true. Sometimes people are taught incorrectly in their home when they're little kids about uh, humility. They, they get the wrong message about it. They're taught to be brash and rude and crude and pushy as small children. And then they grow up and they have a lot of problems and everybody wonders why. Sometimes young children just don't know exactly the right thing to say. Not because they're mean or hateful, it's just because they kind of say what they think sometimes. A little girl was sitting on her grandfather's lap as he was reading a bedtime story to her. From time to time, she would take her eyes off of the book, and she would reach up and kind of rub her fingers on his very wrinkled cheek. That kind of fascinated. And then she'd rub her face with her fingers. And uh, she would do that uh, uh, sort of alternately, and, and uh, it was just fascinating to her. Finally, she spoke up, and she said, uh, Grandpa, did God make you? And the grandfather said, Yes, darling, he did. And it was a long, long time ago, but he made me. And she thought about that for a few minutes, and she said, uh, Well, Granddaddy did... Did God make me? And he said, he sure did, darling. He sure did. And the little girl looked up at him and thought about it for just a minute. She said, he's doing a better job now, isn't he? As we get a little older, we're supposed to learn something about humility. We're supposed to get to where we kind of know, know something about that. Jesus tells this parable to people that were scrambling for prominence. Haven't we all seen a lot of that? You know, in our lifetime, if we've been around a lot of different things, we've seen a lot of people scrambling for prominence. It happens in clubs, it happens in your homeowners association. I never go to those meetings. I know I'm supposed to, but I've never been to one. I don't ever plan to go to one. Well, uh, you know, that's where you, you, you realize that you don't want to be like that. You know, if you've got a humble background, you've got a, a parent or somebody teaching you about humility, you, you don't want to be like that. Uh, Jesus saw these people that were pushing ahead to get their name in front of everybody. They were like little kids playing king on the mountain. You, I don't know if you played that game when you were a little kid. I did. It was a, we'd find a mound of dirt or something like that and and then whoever could get on top of the mound of dirt and, and push everybody else off, they were the king of the mountain. And it was a big deal to be king of the mountain. Well, you know, the king of the mountain always wanted to stay there. 
it's a little thing uh, which, which seat you choose at a banquet. But it says something about you. When you go in and you kind of plunk yourself down in, in the main seat. I've watched people with great social ambitions all my life. They fool no one. It's so obvious uh, what they're doing. This parable is obvious. We've all been through this parable a hundred times if you've gone to church most of your life. I want you to, once again, though, look at the gentleman that's kind of the subject of this parable. He's all dressed up. He's feeling so important. He walks in and he sits down in the main seat, the main seat in the whole room. He sits down there. He is swollen with pride. He's looking around and saying uh, to everyone, he's not saying it out loud, but he's saying it to himself, I'm better than all you people. You know, I'm, I'm really in the place where I belong. I'm at the head table in the best seat. It's where I ought to be. That's who I am. I'm here and you're not. Then all of a sudden, the host comes in. Boy, it can turn on a dime, can it? The host comes in and leans over and says, you know, a person of real honor has come and we want him to sit in this seat. So you're going to have to move. And the only seat that is left is that one way over there. And so the uh, gentleman that uh, sat in the wrong seat is red-faced now, and he's mortified, and he is embarrassed to death, to death. Everybody's watching. He gets up. He doesn't really want anybody to see him. I I imagine he kind of walked as low, low as he could away from the seat of honor. Jesus kind of plays havoc with our our belief systems, doesn't he? The Beatitudes are our forthright denials of accepted custom. It is to be blessed, to be humble in spirit. Many of the translations say poor in spirit. It's, It's really humble in spirit. It is blessed to be persecuted. You say, well, that doesn't sound good. To be persecuted for righteousness' sake is to be blessed. Someone has said, if you took all the characteristics of the Beatitudes and put them in one person, you would really have a dull person. Well, that's wrong. You know, whoever said that was wrong. Because the most thrilling biography that has ever been written was written about just such a person. His name was Jesus. Best book ever was. We live in a success-worshipping generation. I go to the Strawberry Festival uh, every year, and a fellow that I know gives us tickets, and we sit on the third row. It's real nice. And in front of us, three rows in front of us, sit uh, these Strawberry Queen Court. 
It's about, I don't know, seven or eight girls. The queen and then the first maid and, you know, all of them sit up there. They're all dressed up. And every once in a while at the festival, we'll have somebody that comes that's a little crude. And they're singing some country song about being drunk and going out with somebody else's wife and, you know, all that stuff that they sing about. And uh, these girls sing along with all the artists that come if they know the song. And I noticed they, you know, they just join right in and, and sing all that. And uh, there's cuss words in there and, uh, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. Just the opposite of what we teach and preach. And they're right in there smiling and jumping up and down and singing and everything. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's just the opposite of what Jesus wants. We, we, we want to be on the in crowd. We want to be with the movers and shakers. And a lot of times the movers and shakers are going in the wrong direction. And we need to go the other way. You know, our country's doing a lot of that right now. We need to go in another way. A, a, a radically different way. I had a friend in seminary that was uh, very bright. He made, I think he made straight A's. I'm not sure, but I think he did. I know he was the smartest one in every class I had with him. He was uh, very handsome. He had a, a great voice. He was a great big guy. Seemed like he could have been the president of some big Baptist school somewhere or the pastor of whatever church in the country that he wanted to pastor. I mean, he had all the, all the gifts that you could have. He had them. You know what he did? I thought it was so interesting. He chose to be the pastor of a church in Louisiana, down in the Bayou country, about 200 people. Uh, he would get out his coon dogs and go hunting most any day. And he'd take his wife with him, and they'd go fishing. They could go fishing within a half mile of their house. And he, he was one of the happiest people that we knew his whole life. He was a very humble guy. I mean, very humble. And he didn't want to be in the spotlight. He wanted to be a real good pastor to those people. That's what he wanted to do. And he did it. He did it. I think about him every now and then, and I think, good night, how we all need to reorient our, our thought patterns and how we need to follow different kind of leadership. Glenn Campbell in his song, Rhinestone Cowboy, says that he wants to take his place in, in center stage, and he wants to stay there at center stage. You remember probably the words of the song. He said he would do whatever it took to stay there. It reminds you of this guy at the banquet, doesn't it? He, he wanted to be in center stage on the banquet table, and he wanted to stay there. He didn't want to get up and leave. 
Have you ever surprised yourself in a secret moment and thought that maybe Jesus was right about all of this? Humility is is not cowardice. It's not self-deprecation. It's not lack of enthusiasm. The cult of the overbearing, ruling man is an unlovely cult. I have to tell this story. Every time uh, I preach about uh, humility, I I always tell this story. It's uh, not a biblical story, but it's it's a story that perfectly illustrates the point. I lived in an apartment complex uh, north uh, of Atlanta, a little place called Marietta. And we had a, a big, it was a big complex, and they had real nice tennis courts. And I was playing a lot of tennis back then, and there was a fella that uh, lived in the complex who was anything but humble. He was so overbearing, he was a real pain to be around. I met him on the tennis court. We ended up on the same team. We were playing doubles. And before I ever had hit a ball, he told me where to stand. I looked at him. And uh, after every point, he would come over and tell me what I did wrong. After every point. I couldn't believe it. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to tell him to keep his opinions to himself. And then I decided, no, that would be rude. I don't want to be rude just because he's being rude. I thought, I'm not going to let his bad habits ruin my day. But he kept it up. (laughs) After a while, I said as nicely as I could, Listen, I know I'm going to make some mistakes out here on the court today, but I know how to play tennis. And uh, I'm playing as best I can. Well, that didn't slow him down one bit. (laughs) Each time I went out to play tennis, his name was Gil. Each time I went out to play tennis, somebody would tell me something that Gil had done or said. how, How he had offended somebody. So people, of course, eventually became angry. They didn't like him. They didn't want to be around him. Finally, there was only one fella at the whole complex that would play with him. That went on for about two months, and then they had an argument. And Gil said, well, I'm going to move from here. We found out later that Gil had lived at a lot of complexes in North Atlanta. And when he got to where nobody would play with him, Then he would move to the next complex. It was a very sad story. I mean, you think about it. That is a really, really sad story. He was so proud. He thought he was so good. And he wanted everybody to know it. We're very much in debt in this life to our parents, to our teachers, to perhaps our relatives, a significant aunt or uncle or cousin or something, to our friends, to our working associates, maybe to a a person on a church staff along the way somewhere who helped us. 
We are so overwhelmingly in debt to those people. It seems like we shouldn't uh, be so unduly proud. Another way to understand humility is to reflect on what God has done. All of our power, all of our learning are, as Isaac Newton confessed, but a few pebbles on the shore of an infinite ocean as compared to what power God has and what knowledge he possesses. There's a tremendous difference between what God has done and what our human frailty imagines. It's sad to see men or women inflated with pride, worshiping at their own altar. It's humiliating to see them have to give up their seat and take a lesser place. There are opportunities for us to show in life what we can do. We don't have to tell everybody. We don't have to publish our own newspaper about ourselves. Not too many decades ago, the 28-year-old Bruce Jenner, who trained and trained and trained morning, noon, and night for four years, who was ready when the opportunity came at the Olympics. In the Olympics, every four years, they have a thing called the decathlon. And I know that most all of you know what that is. Maybe there's one or two that don't. It's a 10-event it's a uh, competition where you do a lot of different athletic things, and they keep a, a running score on it. And the man who wins the decathlon is known as the world's greatest athlete. When the time came, Bruce Jenner was ready. He was first in the discus. He was first in the javelin. He was first in the pole vault. He was second in the 1,500 meter. He did his personal best in the shot put, in the high jump, and in the 400 meter. When the doors of opportunity were open to him, he was ready. You know, they have that stand at the Olympics, and the person that gets the gold is on the highest one. You remember how that goes? There's three different places, the gold and the silver and the bronze. Gold one's on top. They went and got Bruce Jenner, and they told him to go stand up there. They didn't take him down from up there. They told him to go up there. They put that gold medallion around his neck, and they played our national anthem. And no one asked him to take a lesser place. That was where he belonged. Are, are we ready to take our stand spiritually? Are we ready to say, you know, I, I want to do better. I want to I take the next step. I want to be on the next level. I want to I want to do all I can. I want to be ready. If an opportunity arises to help somebody, 
If an opportunity arises to, to talk to somebody about Jesus, if an opportunity arises that I can, I can share uh, knowledge or finances or this or that or the other with, with somebody that really needs it, the doors of opportunity open around us almost every day in life. If we're sensitive to that, we see the doors open, we can, we can grasp the opportunity that's there. Don't, don't broadcast how spiritual you are. That's, that's going the wrong way. Don't, don't tell everybody how spiritual you are. Just come and do what Christ wants you to do. That's the key to it. I don't know what he wants you to do today. There might be one or two in the house today that have never trusted and believed in Christ as their Lord and Savior. I know what he wants you to do. He wants you to walk down this aisle and to say, Lord, I believe. I believe in you. He wants you to walk down the aisle and say, I confess my sin and I place my faith and my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you've kind of just been visiting and not really being involved in anything, I know what he wants you to do. He's op opening a door of opportunity for you to come and, and join with us and serve with us and get out on the ball field and, and don't just sit in the stands. He wants you to be active in his ministry. I'm sure there are other things that the Lord would perhaps want you to do. If there are those things that you need to to come forward and make a decision about, we want you to do that. We're praying that you would. If you just want to decide to be more humble, you can do that at your seat. You don't have to run down the aisle saying, I want to be more humble. Don't do that. We're going to have an invitation. We're inviting you to, to do what you feel like the Lord is, is really leading you to do. I'll be standing down here. We're going to sing. And you come. If you feel the, the sense and the tug of the Spirit of God. Let's stand as we sing together.